Well, I can't tell you how grateful it is that I'm here with you. Believe it or not, it's been 14 Sundays that I've not been standing here. Of course, we've seen each other electronically, but that just doesn't do. It's wonderful to see your faces. So I was thinking of the past four years that we've been together as a church. Some of you might not have been here for all of that time, but for those of you like me, in October of 2016, we gathered together and we affirmed the merging of two congregations and now a third. And in December of 2016, if some of you remember, I got a call at 6 a.m. in the morning on Christmas Day that my own mother had died of a massive heart attack in a hospital room in Arkansas. She did not know the Lord. And then in August of 2018, my son Lance and his wife Jessica had a precious little baby boy named Calvin Theodore who was 30 weeks along, premature birth, was doing well, and at day four in the NICU unit at a local hospital developed an infection from a pick line. And his little body couldn't sustain the systemic infection that developed and he died at day six. And then, of course, as most of you know, my own dear wife valiantly persevered fighting terminal cancer and on March 30th, 2020 at 4.40 p.m., She went to be with the Lord. I haven't seen you since that time. And then three weeks ago, I received a call, a bolt out of the blue that my own sister, the only sibling that I have, full sister, who'd lived a very profligate life, drinking and smoking herself to death. I rushed to be with her so that I could once again, as I had for many, many years, to plead with her to genuinely come to Christ. She died two Fridays ago, and we were trying to get all the arrangements together couldn't get everything, I think because of all of the issues surrounding our country, all done in one trip, so I must return to do a burial service on July 17th, which would have been her 61st birthday. She was 11 months older than than me, and she too did, did not know the Lord. So, in four years, I've lost my mother, my grandson, my wife, and my sister. And these are challenging days for all of us, aren't they? With the coronavirus restrictions, it was hard to be together as a family in a, in a vigil for my beloved wife. We were in spurts able to to be together and at a time when I was at that vigil by her bedside she was already on the morphine drip and hospice care and she woke up and it was just the two of us and she looked at me and said I love you and then she went back to sleep and then at one point with most of my children there She woke up again two days before her death and said, I love you all. And now she's worshiping the Lord with utter freedom. 
We rejoice in that. This is, this is a time to affirm with all of you from my lips and as you see me that God is good. God is good. God is good and He does good. And as the song says from William Cooper, behind a frowning providence stands a smiling face. Oh, there have been tears. Don't get me wrong. Many, many tears. Probably in the cumulative effect of those four years, more tears cumulatively than than I've ever shed before. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God is good and He does good. He's righteous and holy and loving and gracious and kind. And He always does what's right. So while we are, with all of us who've lost loved ones, whether they've been in Christ or not, we affirm what Psalm 119.68b says, God is good and does good. And in the reminiscing of all of this time that we've been separated, being back now together 15 Sundays later, we're here on Father's Day, and I'm grateful to be a father. My kids have so wonderfully come alongside me. I can't imagine even the, the greater challenge to have not had them with me. So I've endeavored to encourage them, and they've endeavored to encourage me. And so I thought it would be good for us to open our Bibles this morning for me to give a Father's Day message. So appropriate. With all that I've gone through and undoubtedly what what you've gone through yourselves, I think it's time for us to learn some principles from God's Word in a Father's Day message because we need our dads. We need our fathers. We need spiritual fathers to come alongside us and even in the midst of these strange, surreal times in which we're living, unprecedented for all of us. What is the message of Father's Day? Well, I have four points that I want to give you this morning. I think they'll be up on the screen Fatherhood can evoke strong emotions, both positively and negatively, I suppose, in the children of such fathers. What are your thoughts and emotions when the word, the phrase Father's Day and your experience of Father's Day comes upon you? For some of you, such rich, wonderful memories. For some of you, not so much. For me, when I was four years old, my parents divorced. And it wasn't until quite literally 40 years later at the age of 44 that I met my father. So there could have been every reason for me in that 40-year time span to become bitter and angry and volatile and out of control as a son who didn't grow up with a father. But I do know this, as a believing person, as the psalmist said, when my mother and father have forsaken me, the Lord will take me up. And so on this Father's Day, I too can rejoice in having my heavenly Father take me up, even when no earthly father was doing so. Perhaps you have the opposite experience. Perhaps you have a wonderful relationship with your father. Maybe either he being still alive or 
being perhaps with the Lord, and you have wonderful memories. Perhaps there are those of you who have the opposite, very sad memories, very difficult times. Whatever the case with any of us, the Word of God comes as a balm to our souls. And I want to talk about four key components, four ideas, four ministries that we could have with our children. Because for us, if we're fathers, or if we are those who are discipling not our physical children, but maybe perhaps some of those that you've led to Christ or some that you're discipling now as spiritual sons or daughters, I think we'll all be able to relate to these principles. And as we do, I want us to ask ourselves the question, what kind of spiritual influence am I? What kind of spiritual influence am I? You know I'm going to be talking about fathers, but ladies, don't tune me out. Apply these just in your own context, all right? And even you young persons, listen carefully for what you could become as a father or a spiritual influence in those around you and in their lives. So let's talk about these. I'll talk about the first one somewhat briefly, the second one a little bit more, the third one the most, and I'll end with the fourth with just a statement or two so that we can get all of these in on this Father's Day as we rejoice in God's Word. Here's the first one. The first one, a father's everyday speech. A father's everyday speech. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. That if you're a father here today, perhaps you're just starting out. Uh, Perhaps you've been at it for a long time. Or perhaps you're in the middle of a process of being a father to your own or to some spiritual children that you might have in your life. And if that's the case, I want to recommend that if you're going to be the kind of father that God wants you to be, you'll want to be a father who speaks, I'll call it reactively, with everyday words that allow you to have maximum impact in those who are listening to such words. What do I mean? Well, I'm, I'm almost suggesting, if not actually suggesting, that you should be so versed in Scripture, you should be so enveloped by God's teaching ministry in your own life that you almost reflexively, almost involuntarily speak with your words in everyday speech biblical principles. This is, this is critical. Uh, this uh, sort of reactive involuntary speech is the kind of vocabulary that you and I ought to be using every day with everyone, but certainly with those in our home, most assuredly. In other words, what comes out of dad's mouth when he's at home? When you're with someone, when you're talking to them, perhaps you're, again, your own physical lineage or others, what do you talk about? What's your speech like? Uh, How do you speak reflexively? What's the first thing that pops not only into your mind but comes out of the mouth? Well, the Apostle Paul has something to tell us, and because we're also in 1 Thessalonians, and when I sat down to, to think through what I might share this morning, my mind immediately went to 1 Thessalonians 2, so turn there in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This, this particular passage we went through in detail, so I'll not say much about it here, only just a, a few sentences that gets us going with regard to having the everyday speech as a father that is God's kind of speech. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul speaking, of course, here to the Thessalonian believers, you are witnesses, first 
Thessalonians 2.10, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. How did they know that? Verse 11, here's the explanation. For you know how, and then notice the metaphor. He's already talked about his mothering instincts toward them. Uh, that's, of course, in, in the earlier section here in verses 7 and 8, but now he's talking about this fatherly metaphor, like a father, verse 11, with his children, we did three things, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you, and we encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In other words, Here are three ways that my everyday speech was evident upon my lips and hopefully upon your life. We exhorted you. Now, I've already given you the study of of that particular word. It's a strong word. It, It could even be translated, we urge you, urge you, we exhort you, we want to we want to so urge and exhort you to a sovereign purpose. And what is that sovereign purpose? To walk in a manner worthy of God. Which Paul, of course, implies that that's just the way our conduct was being shown to you by our lives. That, that's our conduct toward you. We're not only exhorting you by what we say, but we're also exhorting you by what you're seeing. We, we are exhortative about how you ought to walk in a manner worthy of God. I mean, that's the pinnacle, isn't it? Walk in a manner worthy of God. Well, you and I are going to say, I, well, I've already blown it. I mean, I, I, that's a standard that's way too high for me. But it is nevertheless a command of the Scripture, to walk in a manner worthy of God, this God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And then he says, secondly, that we encouraged you. Now, that's, that's one of those words, if you remember when we taught on this passage, encourage is that sweet word that means coming alongside. You say, oh, I like that one. I like, yeah, the exhortation, that seems too strong. Uh, that may seem too confrontive, uh, that may seem too uh, uh, potentially demanding. Oh, I like this one, encourage. Well, perhaps he is balancing himself out by saying, we, we are certainly going to urge you, and we also want to come alongside you with our everyday speech. And we want to encourage you in this coming alongside of you for your good that you walk in a manner worthy of God. And then he says, thirdly, to charge you. And if you heard that message that I gave on this particular passage, that word charge could also be rendered insist. We insist that you walk in a manner worthy of God. You see what Paul is driving toward here? He's driving toward a kind of everyday speech. Because remember, those three words that he's giving here are all what you do with your lips. You exhort, you encourage, you charge, you insist that people walk in a manner worthy of God. This, is, this isn't just the preacher. This is also the responsibility of ourselves as fathers to our children. We are called upon to exhort them, to be sure, and to come alongside them, to encourage them, yes, and also to insist that they walk in a manner worthy of God, which, of course, implies that it's not just the lips of the Father, but the life of the Father. We have to not only say things, but we have to do things that back up what we say. So we're talking about this this kind of pattern of speech in your life that is reflexively and involuntarily the everyday speech that you use. You say, what do you mean by that? You're not saying one thing and undoing it 
with your conduct. And with your conduct, you're backing up what you're saying out of your mouth. You don't want your children to say about you as a father, he uh, sings a fine song, but his lifestyle undoes the very song that he sings. You, You don't want to raise hypocrites by being a hypocrite yourself. So your everyday speech is incredibly important as it's backed up both by the life of your conduct, but also the very words that you're speaking, including exhorting, it's a specific word and it means a specific thing, and encouraging, coming alongside them to help them and to charge or insist that they walk in a manner worthy of God. They're watching you like a hawk. And they're watching to see if you're walking in a manner worthy of God. And if you are, not the perfection of your life, but most certainly the direction of it, then they'll be more easily able to see lips and life together. Second point. Second point. A father's intentional instruction. Not just his uh, reactive, involuntary speech, but also his proactive instruction in the lives of his children. I mean, when you're driving down the road, when, when you're seeing a, a wonderful mountain landscape and you tell your little kids, God made that. This is God's handiwork. And children... Don't forget what we were doing when we were talking about Psalm 19.1, that the heavens declare the glory of God. See, attach a passage to it. And when you're doing that, it's reflexively and involuntarily the speech that you give them that's backed up by your life, but there's more. And that more is that you're actually proactively, with an intentional basis, instructing them in the Word of God. You want to see some passages that uh, attest to this? Look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. This is, this is incredibly important for all of us as dads. You and I are called upon as husbands and fathers to teach our women and children, the reactive everyday speech of your life and your proactive teaching ministry where you're actually showing them by your understanding of God's Word how to know God's Word. And the book of Proverbs is chock full of great wisdom. I decided, because it's always the preacher's prerogative to decide what he preaches and when he preaches, that when my kids were young enough to understand, I decided on Sunday nights to preach through every verse of the Proverbs. From chapter 1 through chapter 31, just going verse by verse through the whole thing. Now, that is a chore. And even though we had small group ministry on one Sunday and then a service, a worship service on the other so I was doing it every other Sunday. It still took me nine years to get through the Proverbs. Nine years. Five years, if you give me a little slack because I didn't do it every Sunday. But nine years in those tender ages where my kids were growing up, and I used to joke and say, I'm only really doing this for the sake of my kids, and they have to sit on the front row. So I taught them the Proverbs as the preacher and then attempted to live out those Proverbs as the father. And Proverbs is full of actually mentioning the dads. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and I love this too, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So it's both mom and dad, right? For they... Their instruction, mom and dad's fatherly and motherly instruction of you, verse 9, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Isn't that a lovely metaphor? 
Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And it immediately, upon that basis of instruction, goes to the negative. It's a warning. Oh, there's so much positivity in the Proverbs, right? Proactive teaching, it's positive, do this, do this, do this. But there's also the negative, don't do this, don't go there, don't talk to him, don't take that that doesn't belong to you. Whatever it is, the point is Proverbs 1 is saying that you as a dad are teaching. You're actually teaching. Please do not pawn this off on the Sunday school. We have a wonderful children's ministry, and they come alongside as a supplement to what you're doing, not a replacement. Or you say, well, I mean, once uh, my, my kid comes of age and, uh, and perhaps he will decide or she will decide to continue coming to church with me, well, perhaps they will or perhaps they won't. But if you instill in them, in all of the years that you have with them, father's instruction, mother's teaching, perhaps in God's providence and by sovereign will, they will see your teaching as a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. They'll see it as something beautiful for which they'll be greatly thankful. This is, this is the Proverbs. The, these are Solomon teaching his son. Now, Solomon didn't always uh, teach with the way he lived, but nevertheless, this is teaching by God's wisdom through Solomon to teach us as dads that we ought to have an intentional instruction of our kids. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is like a broken record. My son, here it is again, my son, if you receive my words... That means your everyday speech, of course, but also your intentional instruction. And if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, notice this, if you seek it with silver or like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's like silver. It's like precious metal. You're you're going to be divinely rich. You're going to be well supplied. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Again, like a broken record. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, doesn't it? Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness or truth forsake you. Bind love and truth around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success or good reputation in the sight of God and man. My son, my son, my son, I'm trying to intentionally instruct you. You see, it's, it's not just your everyday speech. That's good for them to know my dad speaks well. My dad speaks of the Lord. My dad doesn't speak with angry words. My dad doesn't uh, say one thing at church and entirely something else at home. That's good. But that's your reactive response at home. You also ought to have a proactive, intentional, instructing ministry at home, which is sometimes very, very hard for men. Hard in the sense that it takes effort, it takes work, it takes Bible memory, it takes Bible instruction so that you can turn around and say, this is what the Word of God says. And then look also at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and I'll read it here and then talk a little bit more about it when we get to, to Hebrews chapter 12, because this particular set of verses, verses 11 and 12, are quoted directly in Hebrews 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. None of us are excluded if we're a true son or daughter in the faith. None of us are excluded 
from the Lord's discipline, the Lord's reproof. And when He reproves us, the Bible says it's because He loves us. Now, that's a disconnect in our culture. We, we assume that if somebody loves me, then they're committed to giving me all of my goodies, all of my prizes. They're, they're there to be the dispenser of everything good to me. Well, you know, in a sense, that is exactly what a father's doing because I'm dispensing good to you even when it hurts, even when you need to be reproved. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, Hear, O son, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. See, that's, that's intentional instruction. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, when King David taught me, I was tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you this wisdom that God gives so that we may glean. Love her, love wisdom, she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will, she will lift you up. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. I mean, Proverbs 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. All the first nine chapters of the Proverbs are like this. My son, my son, my son. You have to be intentional about your instruction. And you have to be able and willing and desirous of disciplining your children. Look with me over at the New Testament at Ephesians chapter 6. Now this is a, undoubtedly a very familiar passage to you, Ephesians chapter 6. You probably already have it memorized, and you quote it to your children all the time. Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That sounds a lot like Proverbs 3, 10, and 11. You're going you're to live a long life, long relatively speaking. However long it is for you, you'll live that life. If it's a shorter life than somebody else, you'll have a shorter life, but it'll be a long, short life. And, and if you are, as a child, obeying your parents, it's right to do, and if you honor them, you'll have a long life in the land, and then verse 4, it's a bullet right to the heart of fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't, Don't intentionally instruct them with an angry heart and with angry words. No, we've all blown it. We've, always, we've all been angry at some point, and we disciplined our children in anger. Of course we have. But work on that not being the balance of your parenting. We're all going to blow it. We're all going to get very upset. They're going to say things and do things that will break your heart and will cause you to at least be tempted or tested to respond in anger. And the Bible says, do not provoke your children to anger and presumably by your anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see those two words there, discipline and instruction. Discipline is paideia, and that means training. That means chastening. You're you're disciplining them. That's Proverbs 3, 10 and 11. You're, 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 You're showing them even by the chastening rod to get back in line. They've stepped out of line. You're disciplining them. 
you're, you're challenging them. You're training them to get back in line. And, and if you're consistent with that at the beginning, and if you're consistent with that in the middle, perhaps God will bless you with an end result that will allow them to have been faithfully trained. I was mentioning earlier, I, I, I don't know when we could do this, but perhaps we could do this sort of either next Mother's Day or next Father's Day, Lord willing. But I would love it if my eight children would sort of sit here in a chair in a semicircle and say, what was it like? What was it like? Just to give them an open, honest opportunity. All the good things, all the bad things, all the faults, all the failures, all the successes, all the wins, and to be able to say, this is just one example, one family, and this, this is what happened, this is how it worked. This didn't work, this worked. This was a failure, this was a success. Because it was Beth's and my commitment to train the children, and notice there, bring them up, train them, nurture them. Uh, they, they are to arise in discipline and instruction. And the word instruction is nuthesia. The, the verb nutheteo, nous is the word for mind, tithemi is to place into the mind something. Well, we're placing God's Word into their minds so that they know God's Word first by rote, I'll grant you that, first by rote, but then by experience. So that God is instructing them, disciplining them, and also warning them. This this word for instruction there, that word nuthesia, has been translated in other places in the New Testament as the word warning, warning, or admonition. So this is an opportunity for us to both train them and to nurture them, to, to raise them up and to warn them and admonish them when they veer from the path of instruction. And then look over at Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, this parallel passage, Colossians 3.21 to what Paul says here to the Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children just as it is written for the Ephesian believers, but then this, lest they become discouraged. That's what the ESV says. Another English translation says this, so that they may not lose heart. See, when you, when you live in a household that is a provocation household of anger, then there's going to be volatility. There's going to be anger. There's going to be a seething discouragement where children are much more susceptible to lose heart. And you're also discipling them into being a mother and father of anger when they grow up and have children of their own. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about the direction of your parenting. And, and when you are training and chastening and instructing and warning, you do it with a kind of gentle entreaty and a kind of patience and love that you really as a child begin to understand my parents are genuinely pained when they are disciplining us. They're genuinely pained. They, they hurt when they're hurting me. This is this shows your love for them, your commitment to them. And you want to do that for the glory of God. You want to do that for God's honor. You don't want to do it so that they would just fall in line, do what I say, and do it now. Now look, every one of us have probably said that. Maybe a time or two. Maybe 80 or 90. But what you want to be able to do is to communicate to them that as a father, you particularly, dads, as a father, you are utterly and totally committed to their good, even the reproof of such a one, so that they remain on the right path. 
at least until they leave your home. Now, in a, in a wonderful, optimal world, they go right out of your home and they go right into either vocation or education and they go through all of their personal experiences where they have to own their faith on their own and they might have a bump or two. But you're always praying for them and you're always asking God to give them grace and you're always saying something like this, Lord, please help them remember what we taught them. Please help them gain a grip when they come off the path and you, Heavenly Father, are reproving them now that we're not doing it in the home so that as they're veering left, you can bring them back on the path. And if they're veering, Lord, do whatever means possible, even if it hurts them severely. Now, as parents, there'd be some of us say, perish the thought. I don't ever want my my kids to go through pain. I want my kids to suffer because sometimes in no other way are they able to come to grips with some of their choices. So, if if you're going to be an intentional instructor of your kids with that everyday speech that's reflexively biblical, then there's one component that God seems to be emphasizing as much as anything else in our parenting, and that is the third point, a father's purposeful correction. A father's purposeful correction. And the Bible teaches in the Hebrew text of these very Proverbs, several of them, and we'll look at several of them, the word sebet, the Hebrew word for rod, rod. That, my friends, is the Hebrew word for, are you ready? A rod. A rod. A twig. A club. And do you realize that if you teach this in our day and age, you could be called upon to give an account, maybe even to the authorities? In our teaching ministry on the radio, Timeless Truth Today, I just received, because we're doing some of this out of the Proverbs in the current day, and I received a very, very anguished email just the other day saying, you mentioned spanking, you mentioned the rod, you mentioned corporal corporal punishment, and that is wrong. And the quotation of several statutes from the state of California and this is onerous, and this is wrong, and this is negative, and you should never do that, and if you do that, you're going to be brought up on charges, and, and, and you deserve it. It was a very strongly worded letter. Well, let's see what the Word of God says. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 13. What does God's Word say on the subject? Well... Proverbs has about five or six or seven passages, not just one in an oblique way, but actually several contexts in which it's talking about purposeful correction, even of the physical kind. Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13, verse 34, Proverbs 13, verse 24. You might have heard that uh, phrase um, about sparing the child. Give me the phrase. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Well, here's where it comes from. It's not exactly that phrase, but it's this, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod does what? Hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Isn't that most interesting? This is this is the rod. And this this letter that I received said, you you must know that the Hebrew term for rod is to be most interpreted not as you say, but entirely otherwise, it means to mentor. 
Well, that's not what the Hebrew word means. That's not what it means. Now, can it be a mentoring agent? You better betcha. It can mentor them along with what they need to do to respond accordingly with the dictates of the Word of God. But the Hebrew word for rod is the word for, are you ready? Rod. Rod. Look at Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it. What's the it? The folly. Far from him. It's a driving agent. You want to drive folly out of a child? Now, this is a proverb. This is a this is a memorable aphorism. This is a this is a statement that kind of punches one in the gut. Hey, if you want to breed a completely foolish child who lives in foolishness all their life long, do not supply discipline to him. Or how about Proverbs 23? Proverbs 23, the very next chapter, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, you see how that cannot mean just mentoring? If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. What does that mean? Well, it means applying the board of education to the seat of learning. The, 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 the word strike, naka, means to strike. And you strike on the backside where there's a lot of puffiness. There, there's, there's a way that God is designed in the universe because the word back is a euphemism for backside, the backside of the person. And, and when you apply the board of education to the seat of learning and you do it with gentleness you do it with love, you do, do it with a corrective agent in mind, and when you do it, you are saving this person from living a life of utter foolishness. Now, that's not, that's not the only thing you do. I've already talked about everyday speech of wisdom, and I've already talked about intentional instruction in wisdom, but now we have to talk about a kind of, of discipline that brings a full-orbed approach to rearing a child, raising them up. By the way, in Proverbs 13, the first passage we went over, the word discipline is used, mutsar, means discipline, chastening, correction. That's, that's what we're talking about. We're chastening someone onto the right path. And I mentioned rod. Rod is used, for instance, of corporal punishment in Proverbs 14.3. You should look at that with me. Proverbs 14.3. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. That's backside. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. And if you're not convinced, look at chapter 10, verse 13. Proverbs 10, 13, on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. We're not talking about the kind of punishment that is abusive, intolerant, heavy-handed, injudicious, criminal, none of those things. But we are talking about the full-orbed nature of what it means to receive discipline. And the arch example of it all is in the New Testament in Hebrews 12. Turn your Bibles there, Hebrews 12. This is extremely important, my friends, because the Bible teaches us that even the Lord God Himself, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us with the rod. Sometimes, maybe even physically through His providence where things happen in our lives because we're not getting the, 
the message any other way. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then here's that quote right out of Proverbs 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, that means chastening, correct. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's a quote right out of that, that section in Proverbs 3. And, 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 and why? Why the discipline? What, what is its value? What is its input? What, it's, what is its reward? What is the outcome? Here it is in verse 7 of Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. In other words, that's the normal thing that, that happens with, with a father. He, he treats you as a son with this discipline. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In other words, if, if you haven't ever been disciplined, including, of course, with corporal punishment, with the rod, then do you really have a loving father? Here it says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you've never been disciplined, it's because of illegitimacy. The father doesn't love you, doesn't care for you, doesn't, doesn't care about how you grow up, doesn't care about your choices. He's... He's completely preoccupied, apparently, with something else. But if he loves you and he cares for you, he will discipline you because you are his son. Verse 9, then he talks about the common human metaphor. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we what? We respected them. Oh, my. You mean to say that once... I got the rod to the rump. I actually respected him more because he loved me enough to be hurt while he was doing it. To be hurt. I don't want to do this. You know the old saying, this is going to hurt me so much more than it's going to hurt you. And then we always laugh because we're talking about the physical hurt of the child, but the emotional hurt of the parent. Look, this is not something we have glee in doing. Far from it. But we know it's a part of God's plan. And then it says, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, that is our Heavenly Father, and live? In other words, He's going to discipline you so that you can live. For they, going back to earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. You see, the whole reason for this kind of purposeful correction is so that there can be God the Father joyously and wonderfully sharing His holiness with us. We can be holy. Nobody who is an undisciplined, foolish child is holy unto God. But here, if you share in God's holiness, you'll also experience His discipline. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Boy, isn't that an understatement. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it seems more painful than it is pleasant, but later when I get it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice the word training. I had one of my adult children, after they had a child and now that child is years old, can't, can't reveal which one, but the adult child of mine said to me in a quiet way in a conversation at the house these words, Dad, I, I, I get it now. I get it now. Why? Because they're having to reckon with a child of their own. 
I, 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 I get it now. I, I didn't get it then. I got it now. That's, that's what this is saying. Later, when I came to understand its use, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Yes, I, I, I get it now. And we don't have time this morning. But here's your assignment for this afternoon or perhaps this evening or sometime this week. I want you to go back in the context of, context of this purposeful correction here, and I want you to read 1 Samuel 2, 3, and 4. I want you to read that. There it talks about the wicked high priest Eli and his worthless boys. The Bible calls them worthless, which means wicked, the amounting to no good as far as righteousness is concerned. And they did abominable deeds according to 1 Samuel 2, 3, and 4. And in the text, the Lord God, Yahweh himself, says to Eli directly by divine revelation through another prophet, Eli, your boys are worthless. You didn't do anything of what I've taught you to do, not just as a high priest, but as a godly man, one who's making a claim to godliness. And you did not, 1 Samuel 3.13, you did not restrain them. Your translation may say, you did not rebuke them. You say, well, wait a minute, I've, I've read that. And there's a little section there in chapter 2 right, af- right after uh, Hannah, you know, she had her prayer answered and Samuel, the boy prophet, you know, is dedicated to the temple. And uh, I'm reading along there and I read where it says that Eli w- was finding out from others about what his sons were doing, Hophni and Phinehas. And uh, he does talk to them and says, oh, my sons, the things you're doing are not good. Well, by God's own lips, that's not enough. That's not enough. If they were as wicked in private as they were in public, it was a stench in all Israel. And it's so bad, so bad that Eli did not parent these children with a everyday speech, everyday speech, not just once, and an an intentional instruction and a purposeful correction that God says to Eli himself, your whole family line will be wiped out and you will never have your sins atoned for forever. He said, I'm going to do a thing because of your lofty position as high priest. I'm going to do a thing in Israel that will make people quiver to show this example of how not to parent. Just read that sometime. And it includes, of course, purposeful correction. Fourthly and last, a father's faithful life. A father's faithful life. If you're still in Hebrews 12, turn just one chapter over to Hebrews 13. And notice two different things, verse 7 and verse 17. Verse 7, remember your leaders. Verse 17, obey your leaders. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome or the result of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now look, this is of course talking about the spiritual leaders in the flock But remember, these males, as spiritual leaders, are almost invariably fathers too. And so you have children, even adult children, who are looking to their dads as not only the spiritual leaders within a congregation, but simply as dads. You see, my kids, they're here, they're involved, I think, uh, what? Five of the eight children are in this church, active, involved. The others live in Santa Clarita. They're actively involved in their church. The others, two of them who are still in Arkansas, they're, they're involved in their ministries. They're, they're growing in Christ. They just know me as dad. I mean, I, I'm 
the preacher, of course, and they hear that, but I would probably almost assuredly say to you that nine times out of ten from the pulpit, they're just listening to the preacher, not just their dad. They're listening to the Word of God. They're listening to the Word of God exposited and, exposited and taught. And, and, and it's really only at home or, or at some other venue where, well, that's dad. He's not the preacher. He's dad. And, and what you want is to have them, your children, see how you speak to them the Word of God and how you are seeing the outcome or the result of dad's way of life so as to imitate his faith. And then verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give will have to give an account. Let them, these leaders, do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage or unprofitable to you. So you, you obey your leaders. That means uh, these, these children in our lives are to obey us and the greatest vehicle for which obedience is seen and imitated is when they see our godliness. You know how confusing it would be if, if my children were, were to see this talking head up here saying one thing and then at home completely doing the opposite? What, what, what might you think they would do to their own choices in life? Well, it's just not that important. I mean, what you say in public is not as important as what you do in private. And since I see hypocrisy in my church or in my father or in the preacher, then perhaps it's okay to be a hypocrite. You, you don't want that. Not talking perfection. They would also invariably tell you, he's not this, he's not that, I don't like it when this happens, but it is the direction of the life, in the main, in the whole, in the, in the course of my life, you would want, and so would you dads, you would want to be able to be an exemplary model of the outcome of your life, which then begs for imitation. And when it does... Perhaps God will use the seeds of such a thing as you live the gospel so that when it comes time in His sovereign plan for them to themselves embrace the gospel. It might be for them the most natural thing on the planet. Well, I, I, I see the life. I see it's been lived out. I see the exemplary nature of this. And this, of course, is as dad as leader, to be sure, but also mom's. I would venture to say to you, until her last breath, my children not only adored their mother, but respected her, not perfect, but respected her in living an exemplary life so that now for the rest of their days, they have that etched memory in the soul of a life well lived, a life of manifest godliness. This is, this is the whole point, isn't it? This is, this is the whole reason. And, of course, you may say, okay, well, I've already blown it. I've already blown it. I, I, I was living a hypocritical life, or I was doing this, or this happened, or I had egregious sin in my life. Ask God for grace. Parent with grace while you're asking for grace. And you know what? Some people are going to say, yeah, well, I blew it with my own kids, and I don't know how I could ever sort of uh, bring that back, and perhaps I can't. Well, then start with your grandkids. Start with Him. Ask God for a do-over. Ask Him for, for grace in the midst of the grandkids. And you say, well, I don't have any kids. Well, find somebody who does and ask them if you can help them. Say, can I help stop with your kids? I, you and I are such close friends. I just want to hang around you. I, I want them to hang around me. I, 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 want to, I want to be a model. I want to be an example. I want to help you. I want to supplement what you're doing. I mean, you can apply this in a hundred ways, right? Uh, a father ought to have everyday speech, a kind of intentional instruction, a, a purposeful correction, and a faithful life 
that really means when you go home now for lunch or dinner, thank God that He used you at all and ask your kids to do for their kids what you hoped He had done through you to them. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank You for our time together. May it be a kind of clarion call for men on Father's Day to be the kind of men that you called all of us to be for your honor, for your glory, for your praise. What a Father's Day message from the Word of God that we so desperately need. Bless us now and give us grace to follow your commands for your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.